Good morning, everyone. Um, as Lauren said, the reading today is from Deuteronomy, chapter 4. We're starting from verse 1. It's titled, Obedience Commanded. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land of the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I've commanded you, and do not subtract from it. But keep the commands of the Lord, your God, that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught your decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully. For this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is as wise and a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have that God that's near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Peron, when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and they teach them to their children. You came here and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant to the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord God directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. And then down to verse 32 in the same chapter. And this is titled, The Lord is God. Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created human beings on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by signs and wonders, by war, by mighty hands and outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds, like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. From heaven, he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth, he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words from out of the fire. Because he loved your ancestors and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength, to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you, and to bring you into their land to give it to you for your inheritance, as it is today. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven, above and on earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today, 
so that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. Great to be able to open God's word with you again this morning, and I'm also looking forward to uh, hanging out this morning with Picnic Club. I was going to say, if you like me and you didn't actually come prepared and don't have any food for Picnic, don't let that stop you from joining us. There's plenty of options there to grab some food um, around here, and we'll bring it back to you. We'd love you to join us. Just to start um, by sharing you something that actually started social media this week, which is always a bit dangerous. But I feel like every now and then there'll be either an article or that kind of idea that kind of goes around a bit. Yes, people have been thinking about something they've never thought about before. A couple of years ago, there was this article around about imagination and whether people actually see things or don't see things. If you're nodding, remember that. Everyone's kind of like, I've never heard about this before. Well, the thing that I saw posted by a couple of my friends this week was about dreams. And here is the question that you may or may not have ever thought about before. When you dream at night, when you're asleep, when you dream, are you an observer or are you a participant? So do you dream like you're watching a movie and you're kind of seeing what's happening unfold? Or do you dream as though you're the person who's acting in the dream? Because apparently we don't all do this the same way. Mind blown. <laughs> And so that might be a fascinating conversation to have with someone later. I generally I dream I'm, I'm the participant. I dream like a movie, I'm like, you think we'll do that? Um, maybe I'm doing something. Generally I'm the participant. But you got me thinking, um, and it's a fascinating topic of conversation, got me thinking about what I think is a far more profound question. When you read the Bible, are you an observer or are you a participant? Do you read the Bible as someone who's kind of sitting back and looking at it from a distance and maybe kind of seeing all the pieces on the board and wondering how it all fits together and learning about the history and the past and the stories of other people? Or do you read the Bible as something that you are part of? As something that you are invited into? We talked a lot about the idea of God's big story here at Richmond and what Mark was sharing today at the Compass. I encourage you to get along to that event. I think it will be amazing. He's really trying to encourage us to see the Bible as a story that we are part of. That we are not mere observers of the biblical narrative, but we are participants in it. Now, I should say, I think there's a time for both. And I've certainly spent plenty of time being an observer of the Bible. I've studied the Bible, I've taught the Bible, and you kind of have to sit back and it's interesting as history and it's interesting as a piece of literature. But if that's all you ever do, I think you've missed the point. And you've certainly missed the invitation of God to be a part of this story. It's how the Bible works. And it's seen in a really interesting way in this book of the Old Testament that we are spending these few weeks sitting in. So we started our series on Deuteronomy last week. Um, and Deuteronomy is this sermon that Moses preaches to the people of God, the next generation after the Exodus, as they stand on the edge of the land that God has promised to take them into. We saw last week those first three chapters were really inviting them into a liminal space a space in between, as they look back to where they've come from and what God has done, and they look forward to what God still has for them, and they meet with God in the middle, in the in-between time. And what happens throughout this whole book is that Moses preaches and encourages and exhorts them to meet with God right where they are and to commit themselves to him. And this chapter we're looking at this morning, chapter 4, is kind of like a summary of the whole book in some ways. <laughs> Stepping on the toes of everyone who's been preaching over the next few weeks. Um, basically, Elliot, um, so I can get over it. <laughs> so, um, this, 
this chapter really gives us this whole story and invites us into this whole story of who is this God and what does it look like to respond to him. And we noticed notice a couple of things that have this effect of drawing us into the story, of inviting us in to be participants and not just observers. One of the many grammar things I mentioned last week is this constant switching that Moses does between the singular and the plural. So you never quite know when he's talking to you as a collective or when he's talking to you as an individual. And that has the effect of drawing me, of realising that the story of everybody is also the story of me, that I am a part of what's happening. The way that Moses preaches the law kind of has the same effect. He doesn't just tell you the commands of God. And we'll see next week, we'll get the Ten Commandments repeated here in Deuteronomy. But then we get them applied and preached and explained and exhorted and lived out in a real life, real time, real place situation. And that application of God's word to their time and place has the same effect of drawing you in and saying, where are you in this? Where does this land for you? Where do you sit in this? And then there's this third thing that happens in the book of Deuteronomy, which you really see for the first time here in chapter 4. It's kind of hard to name and kind of hard to explain, but Moses does this really cool thing where he basically asks people to remember something that they never experienced in the first place. He says, remember when you were at Horeb. And if all the people standing on the edge of the promised land are being logical, they say, ah, Moses, you know, you've lost your mind, you're getting a bit old. He says, well, we went there. That was our parents and our grandparents. That was the previous generation. That didn't happen to us. So Moses isn't just a godly old man at this point. We're getting who was there at what time. He's actually doing something really profound. Um, there's a few different words that I found for it. A very um, well-known Old Testament scholar, or Deuteronomy scholar, John D. Hardwell-Rad, he calls it actualizing rhetoric. Like, okay. <laughs> but basically this idea of inviting you to put yourself into the story as if you were there and to remember and to imagine and to see and to make it your own. Um, other people talk about the idea of memory. I came across this fascinating article which talks about the idea of memory and using memory that um, is not remembering something that we weren't actually present for. Um, it's kind of fascinating when people think about how memory works. So they have that experience of thinking you remember something and even being able to picture it and tell people about it and then realise that you weren't actually there. You've had that experience. I have this story from my childhood that I can swear to, I can picture it, I can see where we were when this thing happened with my sister and I, um, because she's talked about it so many times. And then when I describe it to her one day, where we were, she's like, we didn't live in that house then. I, I completely, you know, pictured it in the wrong place because I was a bit too young and I just heard her tell the story so many times that I assumed I must have been there and I must have been able to remember it. So there's this really amazing thing that happens with our memory, um, that we can put ourselves and imagine ourselves in situations even when we weren't there. Now that we have negative consequences, but Moses is actually inviting us to do that here, to put ourselves into the story, to picture it, to imagine it, to put yourself at Mount Sinai, in the middle of the desert, in the land of Jordan, and to imagine this voice speaking from heaven and this fire that burns up to the heart of the heavens, so he says, and this smoke and this cloud and this incredible experience of meeting with God. Remember, put yourself into the story. Don't just be an observer, but be a participant. Whether you're a second generation Israelite standing on the edge of the promised land, 
or whether you're a follower of Jesus in Richmond in Adelaide in 2020. Whatever time or place we find ourselves in, what he's inviting us to do is see how this story is our story. I think maybe our Indigenous brothers and sisters get this a bit better than we do. If you've ever talked to someone uh, from an Aboriginal culture and they'll tell you the stories of their parents and their grandparents and their ancestors as if they are their stories. Uh, and it's one of the cultural clashes we have in Australia where white people, like me, say things like, I'll just get over it and make it happen to you. But they carry the story and say, no, this is my story. This is our story. This is our history. This is what happened to us. And I wondered whether it's something about our individualistic culture that says, oh no, I only know what happens to me happens. Whereas people from an indigenous culture, like people from the ancient Hebrew culture, say, this is our story. It's what we carry with us and we are part of it. So, I think Moses' invitation to us this morning is to put ourselves into this story. To identify and participate in what God is doing uh, in this time and in this place through what he did in that time and in that place. So, if we wanted to experience Deuteronomy, particularly chapter 4, for ourselves, well, the opening words in verse 1 really follow on from what we saw last week. This idea of looking back and looking forward, being in the liminal space, and maybe asking the question, what then? And so Moses sets us up for the rest of this book, for the rest of this sermon. It's a pretty long sermon. You can sometimes ask someone to go, well, I'm going to preach for like 34 chapters. We only read like half of a chapter this morning. Um, but in the rest of this sermon, the rest of this book, is going to be about listening carefully to the God who has made himself known, so that you might follow him, and that you might live with him, that you might enjoy what he has given you, and that you might be who he has called you, plural, us, to be. It's moving to our ongoing response into the future. And then in verse 3, pretty much the first thing he said is, you saw with your own eyes what God has done. You saw with your own eyes. You saw with your own eyes. Put yourself into the story. What does it look like for God to intervene and to act within history, within time and place? And verse 10, what I mentioned before, he says, Remember when you stood at Horeb. Remember standing at Mount Sinai and the commitment that you made there. This is not just something that happened back then and there. This is the story that you are a part of, that you are invited to experience for yourself. How can that be? Because this is God's story. It's not just a historical record, but it is the unfolding revelation of a God who is present with us in every time and in every place, or maybe I should say in all time and in all it's hard for us to get our heads around because this is God's story, it's not ours. But we are caught up in it and invited to be a part of it. So essentially in chapter 4, after reminding Israel where they've come from, Moses calls them to listen to the God he has spoken to them, so that they may live as his people and go into the land his place. And the call is to listen and to obey and to enact their allegiance to God, because God has come near to them. This God who is incomparable, there is no one like him, has made them to be his people. And because of his love and his mercy, they can respond in worship and obedience. So maybe I should read statement again. Moses called 
is for us. To listen to the God who has spoken to us. So that we may live as his people in his place. To listen and obey and enact allegiance to God because God has come here to us. God is incomparable. There is no one like him and he has made us his people. Because of his love and his mercy, we are called to respond in worship and obedience. See, I think the profound truth of the Bible is about the kind of God that God is. A God who works in real time and real place and therefore can work in all time and all place. Go with me on this because it's still like something I've often had to explain to myself and to others. But one of the things that makes the Old, things that makes the Old Testament difficult, one of the reasons people don't read the Old Testament, one of the reasons students give me all the time about why they're struggling with studying the Old Testament, is because it seems so foreign. It seems boring, it seems irrelevant, it seems far off, it seems distant, it seems to belong to someone else. And there's a sense in which that is true. Because God speaks to real people in a real place in real time. Which means if God is going to speak to the ancient Israelites, he's going to need to speak in their language in a way that makes sense to them in their culture and in their time, and it's going to feel foreign to us. But the very thing that makes the Old Testament difficult is the most profound truth that God is a God who speaks in real time and real place and makes sense to them which means it can be true for us too. Does that make sense? God, I imagine, I, I don't know, because you know, I'm just speculating here, but God could have chosen to speak in a way that was above time and above place and above culture. In which case, I would guess he wouldn't be able to understand a word he had to say, because he would be speaking in some kind of magical, heavenly, you know, distant. And God could have made it so that if we wanted to know him, we would have to figure that out. But we have a God who says, you don't need to figure me out and learn my language and understand the spiritual truth of the universe. I will come and make myself known to you in your time and in your place and in your language and in your people and in your culture. And so the very thing that can make the Old Testament difficult is the very thing that invites us to be part of it. And that says the same can be true for us today. Now this fact that it takes place in real time rather than real place we do need to name some of the challenges that this raises. And as I looked through this, this chapter, I thought, man, we could spend the whole morning talking about the question of violence and warfare, and what seems to be a genocide of the Old Testament. We could spend the whole morning talking about whether God's promise of that particular piece of land continues to this day and get into a huge political debate that will have consequences for how we see geopolitics in the 21st century. It's complicated and messy because it takes place in real time and in place with real people. And let me tell you, real people are complicated and messy. Well, at least I am. Maybe I'm the only one. But the fact that it's so messy and complicated is what means that, that it can speak to us today. So rather than get bogged down to some of those debates, if you're interested in talking about those topics, I'm always up for a chat and a discussion about the Old Testament. If you've been around for many times, you should know that by now. But let's just think about the big ideas that Moses is trying to communicate in this chapter about the God who has drawn near to his people and what it looks like to respond and demonstrate allegiance to that God. In chapter in verse 32, as Sophie read, Moses says to the people, ask about the former days or back again, has 
anything like this ever happened? Has anyone ever heard of a God who has spoken to people and those people have lived? Has anyone ever experienced such wonders and awesome deeds as what God has done for you? Remember hope. Remember the mountain. Remember the fire. Remember the voice. Remember the revelation of a God who has come down from heaven and met with you here on earth. Be amazed. So maybe we're invited to take a moment to picture ourselves at Mount Sinai. I know there's at least a handful amongst us who've actually been there, which probably makes the picture a little bit easier. Imagine a mountain on fire and a voice speaking in your language, making himself known to you, the God of the universe, a God who has come near. Or maybe we are invited to remember the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember, picture, imagine, put yourself into the story of a hill called Paragoy, the place of the skull, where a man who had lived his life in truth and compassion and mercy, in revelation and miracles, hangs dying on the cross and reveals that God has made himself known and has come here to us once and for all to take upon himself all of our sin and all of our brokenness. And that's the amazement we see. Or maybe we're invited to put ourselves at an empty tomb where a stone has been rolled away. And an angel, bright and white, appears and says, He is risen. There are many, many stories throughout the Bible that we are invited to see, not just as historical events that happened back then and there, but to remember for ourselves and to be amazed at the God who has come near to us. Or maybe, just maybe, that even gives us permission to say, Remember the moment or the day or the time for you when you first heard the good news of Jesus. Or when you feel like God spoke to you in a new way. When you heard a message or you were caught up in worship. I don't know what it is for you. I think of a night when I was 15 years old on a camp in the southern highlands of New South Wales, sitting out looking at the stars and probably for the first time in my life thinking, if God had made all this right for me. And I remember that I put myself back into my story and I am amazed. It can be your story, it can be our story. But we are invited together to be amazed that there is no God like our God. It's why we gather and sing the songs that we sing each week. One of the main reasons. To declare to one another and to remember again And in fact, in a little pre-endium next week, this is the first of the ten words, the ten commandments that God gives to his people. You know the first commandment? It's not really a commandment at all. I am the Lord your God. There's none of that. This is the God who has made himself to you. Not only is there not, has there no one like God, there is nothing like God. In the middle section of Sophie Hinsbury, this chapter actually goes on what might seem to be a little tangent about the issue of idolatry. Basically encouraging the ancient Israelites not to build statues or idols of God, not to worship the sun, the moon, the stars, uh, you know, avoid all the practices that many other nations and religions in their time did have. 
But essentially, the point is to say, Moses is saying, you have met me and remembered and heard from and been there when the awesome God of the universe revealed himself to you. How could you replace him with a pale intention? How could you put anything in this world in his place? Moses says, those things, stone and wood and sun and the stars, they didn't rescue you and make you their people. God did that. And so that's actually, again, preempting next week when we get the second commandment. Make any form of God, do not make any idols and bow down to nothing can represent God. Only He can make Himself known to you. You cannot make a form of Him and assume that you have captured all of Him. So, really, my first and primary invitation to you this morning is to put yourself into the story wherever it resonates for you, whether it's back at Sinai, whether it's at the cross, whether it's at the empty tomb, whether it's in a moment in your life. Remember this story that you are invited to be a part of and be amazed at the God who has reached down from heaven and made himself known to you. Be amazed at this God. There is a purpose, Moses says, in remembering and being amazed by this God so that you might so that you might know that he alone is God. That's kind of the conclusion that Moses brings in chapter in verse 35. The reason that you've had these experiences, the reason you remember them is so that you may know confidently, carrying it with you forward as you go from here, that the Lord alone is God, that he loves you, that he is with you and speaking to you and guiding you and fulfilling his promises to you. God has drawn near to us so that he might be known by us. There's a key idea of the Old Testament. It's a key word in the book of Exodus. It's a key truth that is revealed in Jesus. That God wants to be known to you. He wants you to know him, to be in relationship with him, to speak to him, to walk with him, to love him, to respond to him. It might be a bit obscure, but it makes me think of a, a man called Habakkuk in the Old Testament and his prayer. He says, God, I have heard about you. I've heard the story of the things you have what you've done. I want to know you in my time and my place. I want this to be true for me today. I want to know you. And so maybe that's where you're at. Maybe that's the invitation for some of us today. To be amazed at who God is and then to say, I want to know you. Maybe because you've never said that before or maybe because it's just something we need to keep saying over and over again. What does it mean for me to know Today. There's also a challenge that this is not just for me and not even just for us. It's not very chronological how uh, Moses works here. Well, I don't think it's very chronological. It works differently in my brain. But actually, in the beginning of that passage that's over here, verses 6 to 9, Moses also says that the purpose of this is not just that you may know, but so that others may know. So that you might live it out in a way that amazes everyone else. The whole purpose of Israel as a nation was that all the other nations would look at them and say, Wow, wow, you can see you on my Who is wise and understanding like that nation? Who has a story like they have? And most importantly, who is the God that has made them the way that they are? 
We're going to get in the next few weeks into some of the practical details of the law, some of the parts of the elements of it that people find the most complicated and the most, most confusing. Why does God say that you should boil a baby goat and it's not a meal? And why should you not get a tattoo? <laughs> now, what are these specific applications of the law in their time and their place and therefore? But the key picture is this. Israel is to live in a way that is different, that is set apart, that is holy, so that all the other nations might look at them and go, wow, what's going on over there? Who is it that has called them to look out? Who's the God that they have? And this is a truth that is proclaimed throughout the Bible and on to the church today. How do we live in a way that shows that we know as God, so that he might be made known? that they might marvel that there is a God who has drawn you to us and there is a God who wants to draw you to them. And there is a God that we know so that there is a God that they too can come to know. Moses finishes in verse 39 to 40 with the words that essentially are concluded. He says, therefore acknowledge who God is and keep his commands and follow his ways and in doing so you will Keeping of the commandments is not a starting point. Sometimes people think the Old Testament law is this, so do the right thing and then you will know God. No. God has made himself known, and therefore we live it out in a way that makes him known. If we get the order wrong or completely misunderstand the story, but if we put ourselves back in the story as the people of Israel found themselves, we experience the God who has made himself known. And truly, how else can we respond but to live in a way that makes known to others? There's an acknowledgement by Moses here that they're not always going to get it right, that they're going to stuff up. And basically, says, when you get into the land, if you children forget and you didn't pass it off on them, then you would actually start worshiping some of the idols and all those things that kind of fundamentally show that you've got it wrong. If you see God, you will find Him with all your heart because God has made Him. You don't have to go looking for him. You just have to turn back and see that we have been in it all along. So the end of this chapter and the end of this book is a call to response, to recommit, to say, I want to know this God, I want to make this God known, and therefore I will live my life in a way that follows and worships and honours and obeys and glorifies him. And so that is the final invitation for us today. Whatever your week and your month and your year and your story and your life and the practicality of day to day look like for you. What does it mean to go into them knowing that God is with you, responding to God, making him known, and following him? Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have made yourself known in history, in real time, in real space, in the Bible, in real words a real language and a real cultural context. And you have made yourself known in ways that make sense, that are grounded in real time, real place, and real people's lives. And because that was true then, we know it continues to be true now. So I pray that you would continue to speak your invitations to us this morning, this week. But I pray there are things that I have said this morning that are just my ideas and my words that will fade away, but what you are saying to us, 
Would you continue to speak, to make yourself known, to call us to make you known, that we might know now, here, in this heart of this place, and that you might be made known to us in this heart of this place. Thank you so much for this book uh, and for the challenge that it is, for some of its complexities and difficulties, but the wonderful invitation it is to not just be observers of your story and of your work, but to be participants in what you have been doing for generations what you will continue to do for all time. Thank you so much for inviting us to your house. And be with you.